church of Jesus Christ has fallen so far short because we know certain things are a sin but we're not valuing people the way God does God sees them even in their mistakes and says I've placed my image on this person and so even as we clearly articulate the truths of the Bible we should always value people the way God does we're all sinners in need of a savior all of us every single one of us Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. None of us are owed anything but justice. But with Jesus, instead, we get grace. Today's message will explain why God is so concerned with life. We're valuable to Him. We are His creation. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, Repopulation. really tying up the end of the flood account. So I've entitled this, we're going to take chapters 9 and 10, I've entitled this repopulation because if you recall, there was only six, or sorry, eight humans on the ark. There's, there's Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons, and their wives. So there's eight humans on the ark, and there's a bunch of animals. And now they're coming off of the ark. And between chapters 9 and 10, you're really going to get the setup for pretty much the rest of the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch. Now, what's fascinating about this is that we see here Noah's coming off of the ark, and in a lot of ways, the way this is discussed, you're seeing almost a quote-unquote recreation. Because Adam was part of the first creation, and then God killed all of the humans and all the animals except who was on the flood. And we've been talking about this for weeks now. And so in this beginning of chapter 9, we get a lot of the same information that we got in the first two chapters, but now it's based around Noah. So there's a beautiful picture here, because if you think about it, there is a, what we would call a typological picture, which is a, there is a type of a greater truth that we find in the Bible, and that is, is that God redeems certain people, and in this case, it's Noah and his family, and, and in this new creation, then God also blesses the world around them. So it's like God created Adam, and everything he made was good, and then he judged the earth with a flood, and now he's starting over again with Noah, and Noah's getting uh, a return to the blessings that God originally ordained, although slightly changed, and we'll look at that. And in a lot of ways, it's a great picture because we know for us as Christians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it tells us that we are new creation. And we know if you read to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapters 20 and 21, that God brings a new heavens and a new earth. So Noah is a picture of those redeemed by God and given a new blessing about recreation. And so it's interesting that you have it in Adam, now you're seeing it in Noah, and this is a picture of you and I and the hope that we have in us. So let's just jump right on in. In uh, Genesis chapter 9, it says this, 
So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man... From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. In verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood will be shed. For in the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Fascinating. So God blesses Noah and his sons, and says, be fruitful and multiply. We saw this already in Genesis 1, 28 and 29. The very first commandment is to be fruitful and multiply. And that's talking about raising up families. The very first commandment in all of the Bible was to have a family. It's a blessing. Now, I realize we live in a day and age where uh, a lot of people put off having families and no, we don't believe that God's only reason for having women was just to bear children. Women are created in the image and likeness of God. But even though we live in a culture that puts off family, God's design relationally for people is family. That's always been God's plan and purpose. So we have this be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, that's the first blessing that God gives to Noah. A reminder, listen, start repopulating the earth again. Second, it says, the fear and dread of the animals, they are given into your hand. Now, it's fascinating that, again, we saw this in Genesis chapter 1, that God has placed humanity at the top of the food chain. Now, we say that and we realize that by being at the top of the food chain, that does not mean that we have the right to absolutely destroy the earth. You have to realize that. Now, I know you guys are thinking, oh... Here he goes again on that environmentalism stuff. But you have to think about it. God created humanity and he gave him a stewardship. A stewardship over creation. And humanity, we are standing in for God, taking care of his creation. And if you really can look at the whole of the Bible, the whole of the Bible speaks of our stewardship, who we are, how we choose to live our lives. We realize that a steward does not own it. We get to administer it, but it's somebody else's. And the earth is the Lord in all of its fullness. That's what it says in the Psalms. And so because we've been given the responsibility as the top of the food chain, then we have a great responsibility to steward it well. The earth, in the way that God created it, could sustain humanity forever if we stewarded it in such a way. Fascinating if you think about it. So our whole lives are stewardship. And God made man as the top of the food chain. And he gave us that. If you think about it, there's a lot of animals that are bigger than us. Like I wouldn't want to go hand-to-hand with a grizzly or a black bear. But I wouldn't mind going hand-to-hand with them if I had a shotgun. Well, actually, I would mind. I, I don't want to have that experience. But if I did and I had a shotgun, I'd be like, okay, this is all right. As long as I can aim it straight, of course. <laughs> 
See, the ability of humanity to think rationally and come up with weapons, even though we might not be physically the largest, our ability to reason helps us. So what it says here is that animals are going to fear humans because humans are at the top of the food chain. That's the second blessing. Now, it's interesting. If you look more here, look at verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. Now we have a change in diet. Now man is allowed to eat everything. In the Garden of Eden, nothing was supposed to die. So man was given a vegetarian diet. Now here in in, uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, meat is on the menu. And a lot of the men said, amen. (laughs) Now... I think what's important is, and I mean, I realize, look, we live in a day and age, especially in America, where obesity is a big problem. It's the number one health issue that we have. And so just because we have access to eat as much meat as we want doesn't mean that we should. That, that also is a stewardship issue for all of us. We all have to be careful with this. But the reality is, is that there is some corners of Christianity that says, oh, you know, being a vegetarian was God's original intention and and all this stuff. And it's true. In the Garden of Eden, nothing was supposed to die. But then in Genesis chapter 9, God revises the diet plan. And so Genesis 9.3 is the carnivore's life verse. You can eat it all. Now, there is one prohibition with it in verse 4. Look at what it says. It says, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. So now it says here that you're allowed to eat animals, but you're not allowed to eat them with their blood. And we've talked about, remember we talked about this with the cup as we looked at the Last Supper. According to the scripture, the life is in the blood. That's where the life is found. If you think about places like the book of Leviticus and a number of different places, it's very clear that God sees the life in the blood. And we talked about this because the blood is what energizes the whole body. And that's why if your heart stops beating, your body dies because the heart pumps the blood to the different organs and the blood acts as a carrier to bring everything that each organ needs. And so when an organ stops getting a fresh supply of blood, everything shuts down. So there is a sanctity in blood. And so because of that, you're just not allowed to just eat animals with their blood. Does it make sense? Now there is, does that say that we should only buy kosher meat? Some people would say that. Oh, you have to realize that kosher meat has almost as much blood in it as non-kosher meat, but it just gets slaughtered a certain way in a ritualistic way. So I don't necessarily believe that kosher meat has less blood. The idea is that we, we shouldn't be drinking other animals' blood. And, and you also realize that uh, historically, people who practice Satanism, it always has to do with some sort of drinking blood, doesn't it? Because the idea is that if you ingest the blood of another animal, in some ways you feel like you're taking on that animal. And I know it sounds really weird, and for the most part here in the West, we're too sophisticated for those type of things. But if you travel around, you realize that people do that. People do that kind of stuff in this world. So the life is in the blood. So although you're allowed to eat an animal, you're not allowed to drink its blood with it. And the reality is, is in verse 5, we start to realize, notice what it says, Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Wow. 
This is talking about divine justice. A life for a life. Lifeblood for lifeblood. So you have to realize this. Now, you start talking about an eye for an eye and things like this. Most people would say, and if you think of the bumper sticker, it says an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. How many of you guys have seen that bumper sticker? Okay. You see it and you're like, hey, that makes some sense, right? And it does make some sense. But the reality is, is the reason these things are in the scriptures is not because God wants to make the whole world blind, but God realizes that if you take out my eye, I'll chop off your head. Humanity has the gift of escalation. It's not in there so that we, you take off my eye, take out your. The idea is that, because you guys know what it's like, right? Somebody does something to you and you do it back to them, but worse. That's part of the fall. And so God's heart is balanced scales. Justice is part of God's perfections. And so the reality is, is God believes in justice. It's part of who he is. It's part of who he is. Now we know that God's justice is always tempered with mercy. So God realizes that justice is perfect. Now, people always say, well, explain this to me, justice and mercy and grace. And the simplest way to do this is this. Justice is getting what you deserve. That's what it is. Getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's kind of a cool saying, right? You like that. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And then grace is getting what you don't deserve. I'll give you a good example of this. Imagine I was in my car and I was cruising down I-5. I wasn't, let's say I'm not cruising. I'm flooring it down I-5. I'm just like, you know, I got, I got the RPMs on the VW just topped out. I got the, the windows down, the moonroof open, and I'm just loving it. I'm blasting like some late error John Coltrane, loving it, just like flying. And a cop pulls out, and the red lights go on. And I say, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Here we go. See, so he pulls you over, and he says, uh, sir, can I have your license and res- registration? I say, well, officer, what was I doing wrong? He's like, well, you were going 120 in a 60. Right? If that cop gives me justice... He comes, he looks, he's like, you did 120 and a 60, so give me your license. I'm going to confiscate that right now. <laughs> I'm going I'm to handcuff you. I'm going to take your license away. And I'm going to give you a, a $2,000 fine. Because that's what the letter of the law says. So I did this. This is what I deserve. If the cop is merciful, and some of you have been pulled over know what this is like. If the cop is merciful, he's going to say, look, you did 120 and a 60. And I should really take your license right now. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a ticket for 95 and a 60. And yeah, you're going to get four points on your license and it's going to be a $600 fine, but at least you'll keep your license. That's mercy. He didn't give you what you deserved. Right? But grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. It'd be like if the cop said, look, you were doing 120 and 60 and I should take your license from you. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a new car. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. If God gave us what we deserve, we all deserve hell because he's perfect and we fall short. He gave the justice to Jesus. If God just gave us mercy, he'd say, look, I'm not going to give you eternity in hell. Instead, I'm just going to cut your life off. 
When you die, that's the end of it. That would have been mercy. But God gave us grace. And God said, look, even though you're sinners, Jesus died, I'm going to give you an abundant life now and an eternal life in the hereafter. And we all say, hallelujah, amen. That's grace. But God is just. You have to realize that what we deserve, Jesus got in our place. We deserved the cross. But Jesus, in his love, took it for us. That's the glorious gospel, isn't it? That's the glorious gospel. Now, why is God so concerned for man's life here? Notice what it says. Whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. The reason God values life is because humanity is made in the image and likeness of God. And it's kind of cool because you would think that because of what happened with Adam and all the lineage that now Noah is kind of like a, a cheap knockoff. But he's saying, no, just as Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, so is Noah. God aligns himself with every human person as of ultimate value to him. And this is important for us because in the way we talk with people as Christians, people who are making bad life decisions, even though we don't agree with their decision, we need to value them as people created in the image and likeness of God. This is where I believe the church of Jesus Christ has fallen so far short because we know certain things are a sin, but we're not valuing people the way God does. God sees them even in their mistakes and says, I've placed my image on this person. And so even as we clearly articulate the truths of the Bible, we should always value people the way God does. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. All of us. Every single one of us. We love the Lord and we still are growing and making mistakes and crying out for mercy and would to God that the people of God would see people the way God sees people. We're all the same, created in his image and likeness, glorious but fatally flawed, warped by sin, all of us. We're all there, together. And would to God that in our articulation of the truths of the gospel, calling things that are wrong, wrong, that we do it in such a way that we still value people the way God does. Because I think in, in some segments of the church, we have a bad habit of seeing somebody sinning and saying, that's terrible, that's wrong, and not saying, you are created glorious in the image and likeness of God with such value. Every human soul is of such value to God. That God cares for them. Life is not cheap in God's eyes. He values every single person who has ever been. And that is why God has given us a mandate to love in Jesus' name, to provide and help people, to meet the world at its place of pain. If you give a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you've done it to me, he says. Because God values humanity. And my prayer is that Christians across the globe would value people so much because God values them so much. So much so he'd send his own son to die on a cross. Now in verse 7, of course, he says, And for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply it. In verse 8, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him. He says, as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you 
And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast on the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, this is kind of cool because we live in an area where there's lots of rain and there's lots of rainbows. So every time you see a rainbow, it's not about leprechauns and pots of gold, even though those, that would be kind of fun if it was, but it's not. Every time there's a rainbow, that is a reminder that God has promised that he is never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. And you can imagine for the people who the descendants of Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth, every time it rained, may have thought, oh man, we're in trouble. One of the last, you know, five rains ago, we, the, everybody died. So the reality is, is the rainbow is there as a sign of the covenant. God has a, made a covenant. He's not going to judge the earth with a flood. And that's a kind of a cool thing, isn't it? So we can enjoy the rain without being afraid of it. We don't have to worry that God's going to do it. Now, it's interesting that when God will judge the earth again, he's going to judge the earth by fire. So the next time God judges the earth, and you can read about this all through the New Testament, places in the Old Testament, the book of Revelation specifically, before God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth, he's going to judge the world by fire at the coming of Christ. So it's interesting, but he uses water one time to judge the earth. So God's made a covenant. He's not going to do it this way again. Now, as we move into verse 18, this is where we really get the stage set for pretty much the first half of your Old Testament. The stage is set with this. Look what happens. In verse 18, Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem Ham and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment laid it on both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Jesus is real. After the flood, the world was different. Pastor Daniel began this study by speaking about believers as stewards of the earth. We have a responsibility to respect and honor God's creation. God was clear in his instructions to humanity. 
to respect life blood and to be balanced and fair. God was concerned for man's life then and he values life now. We are created in the image of God and he cares for us even in our imperfection. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Now, the next time you join us here on Jesus is Real Radio, we'll hear about an incident with Noah and his sons that leads to a divide in the lineage of the family. One of the sons is cursed while the other is exalted. This dynamic will resonate among the descendants of the earth and we'll hear how it plays out throughout the scriptures. The genealogies of the Bible link people to other people and they're all included for a reason. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Origins next time. Until then, may God bless.